In this episode of Pass the Mic, Angelo, a fourth-year child and youth care student and practitioner, and Angelo's field placement supervisor, Leighton, a children's services caseworker, have a candid, powerful, yet tender conversation about how love, forgiveness, and vulnerability is integral in their support of children, youth, and families. Uh, you know, we talk about love in the sense of part of our work, but I, th- I think we need to go before that and, and figure out where does that come from? Because I, th- I think it has to come from a place. I don't think you can jump into somewhere and, uh, you know, blank slate as it were, and just start working with, with youth. So where does it come from? And it, <clears throat> now I'm willing to wager a guess, and this has been my experience, that a lot of people that come to this field have, have, a, have either um, have had a difficult childhood, a difficult life, or uh, some kind of struggle. Now, I've met people at all different stages. Some are, some are in the midst of dealing with it, and they've struggled through working with kids. Uh, some of the really good ones have come from difficult backgrounds. They've processed it they've managed to incorporate, ameliorate it into their identity and, <clears throat> and move forward with it. Um, and it's, and I, when I thought about this, Angelo, I thought about some of the, the personal stuff that you've shared with me. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's why he does this because this happened to him. Does, does that make sense when I say that? So <clears throat> I feel that as oxymoronic or paradoxical as it is, I believe it's out of our own pain and suffering that this love comes from. So, and, and so I'll speak a little to my experience to put this in context. Um, so when I was at my, my formidable years, kind of eight, nine to really 18 years old, uh, you know, we had a, we had a difficult, I had a difficult childhood. I have <clears throat> three younger siblings and there was a lot of, there was a lot of verbal abuse. There was domestic violence. There was alcoholism. There was neglect, all this kind of stuff. And so <clears throat> as a child, I blamed myself and I internalized a lot of it. Like it was all my fault. It was, um, you know, I was uh, in a sense, uh, came up with the belief that I was worthless And there are some obviously specific things along the way that happened, but we'll save that for another podcast. But that was, that was my belief about myself. And so that you can imagine navigating in this world. If you believe that you're worthless, there's a couple things you don't do. You don't try at anything because you believe you're going to fail before you, before you, um, before you even start. So why bother trying? And so this, and this obviously it, it impacts my decisions about the people I choose to spend time with, who I invest in relationships. It was all, it was all kind of a mess. Um, needless to say, during this period was, you know, I had, a, I had, a, uh, I had gone through a divorce. Um, and um, so it was a, <clears throat> there was a, and I have my own mental health issues as well on top of this, which exacerbated everything. So there was a lot of, I look back on a lot of these years as, as, you know, a lot of mental anguish for sure, a lot of suffering, a lot of questioning, um, and just a lot of emotional pain for years and years and years. 
So <clears throat> when I showed up at the doorstep of child and youth care, I had this great sense of empathy for these kids that had been through this. And what I managed to do was to turn all that pain and all that hurt that really came out of my childhood into a huge compassion for the youth that I was working with. <clears throat> now I, so one of the things, um, so, and fortunately for me, I was really good at building relationships at the same time, whether that was genetic, whether it was a coping mechanism, I don't know, but I just, I was. And so for me, um, it, this was my purpose from the pain. This was, this was the why. And all those times I cried out, why is this happening to me? Why, God, are you doing this to me? This created the meaning for all of that. Why? Because now I, <clears throat> I really do can say I genuinely 100% care about what happens to them. I genuinely care. And I'm willing to back that up with the decisions I make in regard to them. Um, it also means that I can, I, um, um, I don't think it's called, uh, I think it's called neuronal mirroring. So when you're actually, <clears throat> um, um, so in, in tune with someone that you actually kind of let yourself really feel those feelings that they're having and kind of share that emotional kind of moment. And I've been able to do that with some kids as well. Um, measuredly so, but it's come from, it's come from that, that pain that I suffered. And so part of it is, and it's not a, it's not wanting them to escape it though. If I had a magic wand, there was some youth. I would best, I would definitely say, I wish I could take you out of this because I know that pulling them out of it isn't going to help them. But what I do know is that if I can be that one person who believes in them and who genuinely, genuinely cares and loves them and is willing to back that up, that I think I can make a difference because I think when you're suffering and you're alone, that breeds hopelessness. And that is the worst case scenario for some of our youth. Um, and I think, that part of the why for me then is I want to be that person for you that if there's no one else, and I hope there is, but if there's no one else, you can know that I will listen to you. I will hear you. And it, it matters not for me, it matters not. Um, and I don't mean this to dismiss them, whether it's culture, race, gender, sexual identity, it doesn't matter because I'm, you're a person, a human being that I'm connecting with and your life is inherently <clears throat> priceless because it's, it, you're a life, you're a human being and you deserve that. And so that's kind of, that's what was going on in my head today <laughs> briefly while I was doing everything else. Um, and I see that it's interesting because I, 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 in our conversations, Angelo, I see that in you. I see that happening often and I see you drawing comparisons between we talk about different files and different cases and you kind of go back into, uh, you know, some of your family history that you kind of connect with that. And I, I can't help but wondering, I wonder if that's 
to a degree where where it starts for you where the road began was way back in your childhood when whatever was happening was happening you had to go through that and now that's given you a greater empathy a greater understanding and a greater love for the kids and the youth that you work with yeah i mean like like just just I think with in starting this conversation you know love love does come from somewhere and i i personally i didn't know how to start it i was like oh are we are we given a prompt or are we given a and i think that you really hit it on the spot where um you know the work that we do as child and youth care does not come from black slate rather it comes from a greater foundation that either we're scared to share because mm-hmm. you become you become vulnerable because you know you're supposed to be that person but at the same time you're supposed to be that person of supports and 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 being in child and youth care i think um allowed me to become um vulnerable in front of others and mm-hmm. um and that goes to show how much i can love um because just like what I said earlier with, with, um, with some of the individuals that interviewed me, my, my work is highly, highly, highly revolves around attachment. Why? Because, you know, you talk about your childhood and the way you grew up. I grew up, you know, my, my, my dad um, and my mom were very young. Um, they did not know how to raise myself and my sister. Um, and, and they admit that up to uh, until this day, um, our gap is very close. So, um, you know, some of the things that that um, they say now where, you know, they're scared that I might have my own family too young or, or whatnot. But it, with them, like when, when I was growing up, they were, um, like my dad was very um, strict. He was very, um, he did not know how to control um, his his emotions. Um, therefore, I grew up all the time, always wanting to fix the way I act towards others. So I always want to be perfect in front of everyone else's, um, I guess, perspective because um, I grew up that way. So when I was growing up, I would, you know, my 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 sister and I would fight. Um, but then they would always side my sister. Um, so that's why I'm like, you know, I grew up kind of feeling like the, that no one loved me and that I have this notion that I'll never be like my dad or I'll never treat people this way because it hurts. And therefore, um, now that, um, I grew up, um, and, and things happened the way they did, you know, with my sister being, um, getting admitted to hospitals after hospitals after hospitals and, and her, her showing her vulnerability in front of us and me accepting it. I was, I think also one of the biggest things that allowed me to love more is to forgive, um, and not to, to forget what happened because I would, it's, it's part of me, but embrace, embrace it with, with love. So I was able to 
my parents have been able to work, especially my dad. My dad and I are very close. Like we're like when when I fight with my mom or when we have certain disagreements, my dad sorry, he's always one call away. So um <laughs> Um, my bad. <clears throat> so, um, he definitely, I think, was able to, um, change his ways of, and this is after, I think, right after he saw how, how much pain my sister suffered, um, and though my dad loved her so dearly and, and um, in comparison, not to compare, but in comparison to how my dad showed love towards me and my sister, my sister received much more. So, um, and they can't, they don't deny it. They, they don't deny it. Um, but I think the biggest factor <clears throat> of what led me here today is me being able to show um, the forgiveness that I can with my family and I've I've forgiven them <clears throat> um, because I grew up not knowing who loved me um, I definitely don't like sharing what I've gone through in the beginning of my relationship with my girlfriend, I've always wanted control. I've always wanted to control how much love I get. So, <clears throat> I think that, that was the result of, of not being able to control how much love I did not get. So, I wanted to control like how much she spent time with me, how much, how much attention I got from her, um, to the point where it became too much, and I almost lost my relationship. So, and that gave me an idea to. And she asked me the question. She asked me was, was there ever a point in your life that you felt you weren't in control or you were worthless? that you now feel like you're you're scared that you might lose me because because I'd end up treating you that way. And this happened a couple of years back um when when my girlfriend and I took a break. Um and that just played in my head every single time and and it still does up till this day and I hate I definitely did not see this coming and I hate the fact of sharing but I think this is where a good foundation of relationship is between um between myself and Leighton and and you know I being being a student um I've never had other than my grandpa uh, and my dad now but growing up I always wondered what it would be like to have a positive male figure um, to show me, I guess, the learning ropes of life, um, you know, and, and, and with, with my dad being, being the way he was, um, 
and now I, I, I told, I tell myself, is it too late? Um, but it, it will, it will never be too late because, you know, he was able to learn. My mom was able to learn. My sister was able to learn. I was able to learn. We were all able to forgive what had happened between the, you know, the years that were, that we spent with one another. Uh, and we continue to strive to become better uh, at what, in the roles that we have in our families and that's all done with love and therefore i'm able to work the i'm able to work um fully with love because i know now i'm receiving it every day and that's not just for my family i receive it from or my girlfriend i receive it from late i receive it from from my my from people from seminar and i receive it from my friends and i i I want to be able to show that to, I want to be able to share that um, with the people that I work with in, 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 in the future and, and not necessarily compare what we've gone through uh, because that's not the point, but rather to believe that love do exist in many, many, many ways and it can grow in you and you just have to be able to accept it. <clears throat> Oh, Angela, that was, <laughs> that was, you know, I really appreciate that. And that's what I, one of the things I really appreciate about you is uh, you just, you talk from the heart and you, and, and it's funny, you've told me stories at the group home you work at, at times you've done that and you've, you've impacted the kids around you, like why they listen to you. Why do they seem to have a better relationship with you than, than other people in the group home? And it's because you speak from the heart because you don't give them BS and because they know, they know that you actually really care about them and see, and, and that's the difference. And, and I mean, how do we, how do you teach that? How do you, you know, how do you add that as a competency into child and youth care? Well, must have the ability to, to love others, must have the ability to forgive, um, must have the ability to be vulnerable, right? Um, these are power, powerful, powerful, life-changing qualities that we can exercise, tools that we can use to, to change the lives of the people we work with. Um, and, and one of the questions is, how do we, how do we promote that? How do we, you know, how do we teach that? And, uh, you know, I don't know enough research to know whether someone's done a paper on, you know, evidence-based research saying that if you're vulnerable in front of your youth, you're going to impact them in this way or the other but i think our experience tells us that the the youth that we work with are make great bs detectors and they can tell when you're feeding them a line they can tell when you're pacifying them and they can tell when you they you genuinely care when you genuinely care about them and i think that's that's something that that we do that is I'd like to say is, is based out of our genuine love for them. You know, um, was it Carl Rogers called it um, unconditional positive regard. This is a fancy way of saying love. Let's be honest. Right. And, and so I think we need to talk about some of these things that, that we don't hear a lot of, um, you know, I've seen, I've seen youth that are so angry at their, at their parents, at their workers, at the world. I'm like, at what point do we teach them about forgiveness? Saying, listen, yeah, 
all this crap has happened to you. It's not fair. It's not your fault. But how do we change that? Well, you can't, even if you were to seek revenge on all these people, it doesn't change the fact that you were still hurt. So how do we manage that? How do we help them manage their own pain? Right. Um, and um, I'm not one that would even want to uh, think about breaching that unless I really had a deep, deep, genuine care and concern for them. Right. Um, and I, you know, I have never had conversations with you know, the professionals like, well, this kid, I just think, I think he needs to learn about forgiveness because I think he's been carrying this resentment for so long. It's a burden that he shouldn't have to carry. And because forgiveness is not about letting people off the hook. It's not letting those people who've done these horrible things, these kids, letting them off the hook or saying they don't deserve justice. Forgiveness for these kids is saying, you, you don't have to carry this anymore. This, is, this was never your burden to carry. And there are better things for you that you deserve. And if you want to make some space for that, you need to get rid of this. And I think it's those conversations we need to, to have more of, right? And it's easy to get focused. I know on the evidence base, the research, and I get that. But haven't we in our own lives experienced when either we've forgiven or someone's forgiven us and the power of that, that we've, we'll, we'll never forget moments that that's happened to us. I'm like, wow. And I just felt so much better afterwards. Like somehow, you know, this, this thing was getting in the way of this relationship, right? And we talk about attachment, right? Try getting attached to someone that you're really angry at over something. You can't, right? Because it's going to keep coming up. It's going to keep creating that barrier. And so forgiveness is the one thing that can, one of those things that can um, help pave the way to, to reconciliation, to building that attachment again, to restoring that relationship, right? Because that's what forgiveness is. It's about restoration. You can't always restore relationship with the people that have hurt you, but you can restore that relationship you have with yourself. If you forgive, a lot of times it's just these kids need to forgive themselves because they've internalized all the stuff that's happened to them and they really do believe it's their fault and no one has told them, you know what? It's not your fault. You need to let that go. You need to forgive yourself of whatever you think you've done. Um, and these are, these are deep human conversations, right? That, that are so um, connected to the depth of our soul but we don't seem to get that deep sometimes and it's easy to, to stay on the surface and it's, it's safe to stay with the, the academic speak with the theories with the, well, this is evidence-based practice, right? But, you know, I think we need to be, I think we need to look at what does it, what would it mean to be an extreme child news care worker? And I, and I'll never forget this article I read. It gave a great, a great, great example. So there's this caseworker in her office and she's working with a 16 year old who uses heroin, right? 16 year old has no place to go. She's out on the streets, highly vulnerable. This caseworker says, come to my office. And if you're going to shoot up, shoot up there. So at least I can see you. I can make sure that you're safe. Now, if I did that tomorrow, <laughs> I might not have a job the day after, <laughs> But when do we start 
really, really thinking about how we're going to make a really impactful difference. A lot of times it's, well, let's just try and create safety by how kids are on the street, they're shooting up. So what are we going to do, right? We're going to throw a ton of resources at them and like, they'll take care of them. They'll figure it out. But we need to start, I think, thinking outside the box sometimes of, of how we've done it just because we've done it for so long. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't mean make it the best way. Um, so I, I think to start thinking outside the box in that sense, it helps us to, to start imagining possibilities that we haven't imagined before. And when we start having these discussions about these crazy things like love, forgiveness, and vulnerability, we might create a whole new generation of child use care worker that is so um, in touch with their own emotions and is so equipped in regards to love and forgiveness and vulnerability that they're, they're meeting these youth and these youth are going, what is going on? Like this guy, this gal is different. Like I, I like being around them. I'm drawn to them. I want to be near this person. Um, Cause I think that's what it is. It's a, it's a walking safe place when you have those things because people feel safe around you. So I volunteer, vulnerability is huge. We could go on forever about vulnerability and what that looks like in our practice, right? Because if you think about it, we're professionals. We are, we're well-trained, well-educated, right? We have these, you know, ethics that we follow. We have these competencies that we have in our toolbox. Um, by the time we meet that youth and not having that conversation are, are we really willing to let ourselves be vulnerable with them? Because we have all these other hats that we're wearing right now. And maybe the hat that they need is just to be next to another human being that can feel their pain and share that for a moment and say, yeah, that, that really hurts. Like that hurts. It hurts me to hear you say that. Um, and it's, it's hard because on the opposite side of vulnerability is is pain. You don't want to be vulnerable because nobody wants to get hurt. And yet we constantly berate these young people telling them, well, you need to talk to your therapist. You need to talk to this person, talk to that person. Um, what we're really asking them is say, you need to be vulnerable in front of all these people. I'm just not going to be vulnerable in front of you. And that's a real mixed message from my point of view. I think we really need to, think about some of the messages that we sometimes give these youth. Um, and because I think if we, if we love them, if we're saying we love them, then we're going to act that way, which means we're going to have integrity both in what we say and what we do. So if we're telling them you need to go talk to so-and-so and, and this person and that person, um, are we willing to demonstrate for them what vulnerability looks like? We're not just saying yap at them for, half an hour or 45 minutes and tell them what they want to hear. What we're really saying is we want you to open up. We want you to share your pain and your most vulnerable moments, because that's what we know is, is going to make the change. Um, and we're just going to tell you to do that. Now we're not going to do that in front of you. We're not going to be vulnerable in front of you because I'm the professional and I need to be in control of my emotions at all times, which you can be even when you're vulnerable. But I wonder what kind of, what kind of message it sets up when we, we say that to youth. Yeah. 
I, I would assume like when it comes to having a conversation with the youth, it, it definitely caught one of my youth off guard when I I opened up to him and said, and I started crying. Or, well, not bawling my eyes out, but I shed some tears. And, and here he was, and I, I managed to share this with Anna last week, but uh, he was he was wiping his tears away. And I remember when I was growing up, and up until this day, actually, my dad doesn't like it when I cry. So he, like, you guys see me as much as possible. I don't. Like, I definitely do not like it. And I, I, I you know, I, I grow up. I, I, I grow up to be the way that I am now because, you know, of all the people that shaped me. But showing me being in CYC allowed me to become as vulnerable as I can be and, and still be and still manage my my professional um the professional side of things or manage to keep my professional um hat on um and 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 be um obviously I'm not not gonna yap about my experience with the kids that I I work with. However in order for them to to feel safe, I feel that I have to let them in my circle a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that looks like um, me being able to show them that it's okay to cry. You know, not all men cry, yes, because there's certain expectations of the society that men should not, right? So therefore, you know, a lot of, a lot of men don't cry, but, but a lot of the youth who's in, 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 in um and in, in care right now um and whom are males they they're out there in the streets you know being the tough guy right then one day some of them would come home crying why because their girlfriend broke up with them or you know but why are you crying here why don't you cry out in the streets because it's a safe place here it's just, and that's that's where you start as child and youth care workers because then they would internalize your actions to become you know you embrace them with 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 everything and I think that, that sometimes I feel like child and youth care workers or workers out there do not know how to deal with emotions mm-hmm. um, and because because you know for example hence the fact that I don't like crying in front of others. Is because there are often times when I've had it where I cried and 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 some of the people in my class were like, like what the heck, you know, like it was it was not definitely not the reaction I was um, expecting, or, but it was like my dad's, my dad's reaction is like, why mm. cry, you know, it's a why question. But then when you tell someone, when when for me, since I'd never liked that as a child. When someone else is crying right in front of me, I feel to accept them with everything that I've got and let them know that they can cry and weep and and, and give everything that they have and lay it all on the table and I'll be actively listening and and being there for them and just that, that support. Um, and... You know, they a lot of the kids who's who's you know in the higher risk side, they do go out there, um, you know, doing drugs and, and getting involved with gangs, and but the real love 
and they know this. They know this. And I've, I, I could test to this because I've worked with some high-risk youth when I was a replacement worker. The real love comes from the, the workers that cares about them at home. Hence the fact they would often ask when these, this worker is going to work and they follow up on, on the workers that they like. It's because not because they do whatever they want or maybe that's the reason why, but also because, you know, for me, I, I try to provide the safest place for them, not necessarily telling them, hey, go do drugs right in front of me. We'll, you know, we'll smoke together or whatnot, but definitely letting them know that, um, you know, there's a safe place for you here in my heart. And that's where love comes from, for me. <laughs> that's brilliant, Angelo. And I, I love that you said that because it, uh, it's a powerful image of, of, of so many people that have, have shut the door and have said no and have sent all these messages. But it's that one person that says yes and they, what? And they, it makes them double take. What you want me? Hold on, but I'm, you know, I got to act a certain way. No, you don't. But I have to um, hide all my emotions. No, no, you don't. But I have to not tell you how awful that. No, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. And what you're saying is, I have permission to feel whatever it is I have to feel. Yeah, yeah, and that's that is that's that's unconditional love because you don't know what you're going to get when you say that but you have already decided in your heart to them saying it doesn't matter because it's not going to change how i how i feel and how i act towards you it's not going to change how i think about you and that is hugely empowering for someone who has felt they've had to act a certain way or be a certain way or feel a certain way or think certain things. And, you know, I think even, especially for, for younger kids that, you know, we, we have this expectation of they have to behave a certain way. And we're you know, really trying to impress that behavior upon them um, because we don't want them to act out in certain ways because we're, I don't know if it's just the violence or if it's the rage that's underneath, that's more scary, right? Because um, I think of in the, the restraints that I've done, even it's never been, um, there's times when you felt that rage. And for me, that was scary because you don't know where it's going to go, right? The behavior you can deal with physically or de-escalating them or wherever. But to say that, to give someone that permission to feel that way, um, that's that's hugely empowering. And I wonder, I wonder to myself, how how am I, you know, when I when I'm meeting these youth, um, am I always giving them that message over and over? Um, and it's difficult because I I don't maybe I see them once a month at most, and that's really frustrating in so many ways. But it makes it all the more urgent that in every interaction, every time I speak to them, that I am making sure that I'm allowing them to feel how they feel without. And there's times that they say and do stuff that I, my initial reaction is, oh, I want to judge you. 
I do not want this attitude right now. I am, you know what? You need to treat me better. Then that's, that's my struggle. And it's, it's come out at times and I've said something because they're like, you're annoying me. Why are you doing this? Like, and, and it's hard to, it's, it's hard to gauge that, but I think it's important to say, you know what? You really can be totally PO'd at me. You absolutely can. You can decide to do this, that, and the other, but I'm still here no matter what. And I'm not going to think less about you. I'm, it's no matter what you do, it's not going to change. And that's that unconditional acceptance that creates that safe place. That's that, like you said, you know, um, I'm just going to let you in, you know, one step into my heart there. You can be in there in that space. Um, and what a warm invitation that is. Like I just, I could go on and on about that, that image, Angelo. It's, I think it's, it's brilliant in it. That really isn't, isn't that kind of the heart that we're talking about child news care that, you know, child news care willing to let, you know, that kid into your heart, even a little tiny piece, a little step into your heart, because we know that in any relationship, it's reciprocal, right? Now we understand that because how we operate, there's a power dynamic and authority and for sure, that's that's important and and for their sake it's integral but there's also a part where they need to know that on on some layer you're the same and it's our humanity that is that thread that runs between all of us and so when you let someone in right you're saying yeah we are not that different you may think that you're all these things but you know what i am too to different degrees, absolutely. But you're not, you're not that different. No, no matter the labels or the diagnoses or the behavior, you're not that different than I am. And I think op- that in open invitation is really the heart of what we do. Saying, you are accepted. And I've, and it's like before I, I don't need to get to know you. I don't need to have to read your file. I don't need to see how you behave. I don't need to know whether or not you do drugs or not because I've decided already that I'm in this field. So whenever I meet a kid, I love them and I'm going to let them in even a little bit. I'm going to let them in because that's what they need. That's what they are looking for. That's what's going to, to make that change. That's what's going to build that relationship. So that's hugely powerful. Angela. You need to, you need to copyright that or something. I don't know. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> put it on a jersey, sell it. I don't know. Yeah. Do something with it. But I should probably, you should probably tattoo it on your other arm now. Hey, that's you know what? That's tempting. I might do. Be careful. <laughs> I might do that. I might do that. No, I, 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 I do think that, um, you know, everybody um, belongs somewhere here in the world, and and definitely uh, a lot of people, um, <clears throat> to an extent, shut shut their hearts um, because they've managed. There is this one um, earlier today within my interview, my, um, the interview, uh, the one of the questions were, um, so when you plant a lettuce um, and then the lettuce doesn't grow, you can't blame the lettuce. <laughs> so I, I, for yeah. me, when, 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 I was asked that question. I was, I, I wonder what it meant. And then in my head, I was like, Oh, that's what they meant. So you can't, you can't blame the child for not feeling the love that 
he or she deserved. Therefore, what you can do is that you can, you know, as a child and youth care worker, you definitely don't have the power to mend broken hearts, but you could walk, you could, you could let them know that even if other hearts close for you, there are others, there are other hearts out there, people, a lot, lots more people who would love you, who would love you and let you in where you belong. You know, that's why I really, really am, you know, I'm, I'm a fond of those, of certain people like one of one of the files that you've had and someone who took these kids who is not there, it's like foster care home or kinship home, who took this these kids into their home knowing that they're not theirs. But mm. being able to have, it's, it's I guess it's, it's, it's a, a, a bigger spectrum to, to look at it. Like if you were to accept a, a, a kid in your home, for that kid and some of those kids, it's bigger. Because not just that you accepted them in your home, but you accepted them in your life and in your heart. And, and they now not just have an address, uh, like a physical home, but they have somewhere where they belong. And that's within a family setting or that's within, you know, a group home setting or with, with a, in a, they belong in a relationship with your, their culture. They belong in a relationship with you and with, with, a, with a caseworker, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard because sometimes it could be, it could be seen as a, a taboo topic, but love really is, um, and true love really is, it occurs with people who are able to give it unconditionally. And mm-hmm. I think that workers, child and youth care workers have the capacity to do this because of the, the background and the knowledge and how much compassion and how open we are. And for example, like seminar, that there's lots of love there. And as pe- people are probably, you know, some people are probably do not or are not comfortable in saying I love you to other, you know, other classmates or me saying it to my supervisor, or me saying it to my, my professor, but there's different love languages. And I know, I hope you guys know that from the bottom of my heart, I do, I, Anna knows this. And I told her yes, last week that I am very appreciative of those who are in child and youth care, who, of those who are, um, who are, who've accepted me, whether or not I would put a smile on my face, whether or not I had tears in my eyes. And that in turn, I'm able to give out to others because I accepted it, you know, and, mm. and, and, you know, that, that's with my, me being able to forgive my family, me being able to love my family, love, love those who are in, in at work or in school. That's, that's the foundation that I want for those kids who are in care because at one point I did feel I had nothing. I literally had nothing and I built it up from there. And, and with love, one could be, um, you know, what one could practice and, and emphasize on, on resiliency, you know, and, and with love, 
it becomes a foundation that you could build love then it goes forgiveness and then it goes you know it builds on to so many things and greater things and i think that um you know we can be we can be the instruments to that goal one day yeah hey angelo i love you man <laughs> i love you too <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that if I was uh, if I was listening right about now, I'd want to be like, what are these guys talking about? Like, I think we need to define love. I think that's important. And I, and I think because in our society, love is seen as, you know, you can love your children, you can love your dog, you can love pizza, you can love a movie. And so it's, it's really lost its, um, the power of, of what it, means i mean if you go back to um you know back to ancient greece there was four kinds of love right they could classify it to four different kinds because you know there's brotherly love there's erotic love there's um unconditional love like there was all these different ways of of saying it and i think that um that a lot of what love means has been diffused to mainly uh romantic relationships and certain kinds of food well, as far as I'm concerned, you know, pizza being the, the top one for me. And so I, I think it's important when we, we talk about this, we, we define for people what we're talking about because this is, not, this is not waiting around until someone says or does something that makes you feel good about yourself. You know, oh, I love them. They said this or they did that because at first sight, the kids we work with are not going to appear very lovable, a lot of them. If we base it on that, if you're looking to get, if you're coming into this field and you're looking for friends, you're looking to feel good about yourself, you need to go, go work as a Walmart greeter because by the end of the day, you'll feel great because people are saying hi to you all day long. You'll feel really good about yourself. But that's where you belong, in Walmart. Not a diss against Walmart. My wife shops there all the time. I'm not dissing Walmart. Just let's get that out there. Um, but I think that if, you, if you're going into this, you need to be aware that you're called to something that's a lot uh, can be very difficult and at times extremely trying to do is that because that kid that you meet when you read that file and all the horrible things that look like they've done and you meet them you had better be prepared to either know for a fact that you're going to unconditionally accept them as they are for who they are right then and there expect that you're not going to get anything out of this relationship and expect that you're going to be the one needing to do all the work and, and be the one giving, then, then you will be well prepared for this because it, uh, the love that we're talking about is a conscious decision made before you know the information, which is also the scariest kind because it's a huge risk because you don't know um, I don't know tomorrow if I'm going to get a file um, of a youth that maybe has done horrible things. Um, but if that happens, I need to be prepared to know that, well, it doesn't matter who, who it is, what they've done, what they've said. I need to come prepared having already made the decision that I'm going to show this kid unconditional love. That's, that's my decision. So it means when they push back, when they say things and do things towards me and try to, to push me away or because they just 
they don't like me or whatever it is. If I have already decided in my head that I'm going to be immovable, then I'm not going to be scared off and, run, and you know, be running at the first central. I can stick it out and I can be there. And that's what love means is that you're going to stick it out. It's that kid's going to take you for a ride and it is going to be brutal. But if you're willing to stick it out, the reward is at the end of the day, you may actually have impacted that youth in a way that you may never know and you may never see, but you have to have the faith and know that if that person was you, and if there was only one person in your life that decided that you weren't going to push them away, no matter what you said, no matter what you did, I guarantee you at some point in your life, that is going to make a difference for you. And that's what we need to do beforehand. It's not waiting till we see who it is at, at, on that file or that's in the group home. It's not waiting to see and make sure that they're the kind of person we can get along with or are going to be nice or all this stuff. It's we've decided before that happens that it doesn't matter who we meet or who we have to work with, that they are going to get our hundred percent, that they're going to get that unconditional acceptance. They're going to get that love and they're going to get that vulnerability simply because they are a worthwhile, priceless work of art and they deserve it. And, you know, and I like what you said about the lettuce, because how many times do we put a kid in a group home and like, okay, well, you know, we put you in a home now. So now you're going to really turn things around. Now you're going to get better because you're in a group home. Right. And so all of a sudden we put these expectations upon them. Like, well, you're going to be behaving better. You're going to be respectful. You're going to say, please. And thank you. You're going to follow all the rules every day. And all of a sudden it doesn't help them. And so we're telling them, well, something's wrong with you because you're not following our rules because you're not doing what we've told you to do um, without even, without even thinking that, you know what, have we offered this person an opportunity to feel loved? Have we given them opportunity and permission to feel what they need to feel? Or have we just put expectations upon them because of their, their setting, right? So somehow we've put them in this, this group home or the, in this treatment. So now that's going to make everything better because it doesn't um, far from. And I, and I think we're really doing them a disservice by to put those expectations on them and assuming things from them that they don't have to give. These kids can't give. That's, that's why they're here because they've so much has been taken from them. They don't have much left. And so how can we expect them to give just a little bit more? Like it should be the other way around. It should be, you're going to get here. We're going to give to you. We're going to give to you till it hurts. You know what that, the, one of the craziest bits of advice I was ever given is that sometimes you actually need to, to, in order to get to a kid, you need to work from the outside in. You may need to buy them that new pair of runners. You may need to buy them that, I don't know, pair of pants with 70 holes in it for 70 bucks because that's what they want. Because if you can't even be found to meet their basic needs, why on earth would they trust you? And some, some kids are built that way. You have to get to them from the outside in. Some you can get from the inside out. Some you can just sit down and have those talks and those walks in the park and do all those great things as well. And that will be enough for them, but it's not, it's not going to happen to every kid. And so I think we really need to keep that lettuce analogy in mind and saying, you know what, we're not going to expect the world from you while you're here. We're going to focus more on what we can give you and less on what you can give us. And I wonder how that would change things. 
I wonder what things would look like if we did that. But you know what that is? That's hugely risky. From an emotional point of view, it's risky for the staff. It's hugely risky because you know what? They're in control at all times of that group home. They've got a list of rules to tell you how in control they are. They've got a list of consequences to tell you how in control they are when they do things. And so with all this sense of what they're telling you, you need to give to them, you might not be in the position to feel so happy when you get up that morning and they tell you, you have to get out of bed at eight o'clock for school and you're going, screw you, I'm staying in bed all day. And then they're saying, well, you know, we're going to consequence you now because you've decided to stay in bed and not follow our rules. What would happen if you made them breakfast in bed? What would happen? They've just told you to F off. You go to the kitchen. You bring them a bowl of cereal and a glass of orange juice and go, you know what? You're having a rough day. Here you go. What would happen? What would change things? I guarantee you things would be different. That kid wouldn't know what to do with themselves. They wouldn't because they're expecting you to say, well, you know what? You're grounded. I'm done with you. I'm going to write you off because you're not doing as I tell you to do. You know what? We didn't. It wasn't their fault. They got planted there. That is not their fault. It's just not. And, and so I think we need, to, we need to think about things differently. I think we really, really do. Think about how we treat people. Like, I think we need to think more about killing them with kindness. What would happen if you killed a kid with kindness? How hard is it to get angry at your worker if you're raging off the hook and they bring you your favorite beverage? or your favorite food. How hard is it gonna to be to stay angry at them? It's gonna be really, really hard. Do you think they might open up a little bit and say, well, this guy knows what I like. He's actually willing to buy me stuff when I'm pissed at him, like really, really angry and I'm telling him to screw off. Something's different. He's not like everybody else in my life who has written me off and has told me who I am and what I deserve. That's what we need to be to these kids that's love that's action before we've even met them we've decided the action that we're going to take and as far as the the logistics of it it's being creative be creative about what you do what's what's gonna you know work for one kid might not work for another but do those things it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt anyone if if they're really angry at you and you decide to give them a chocolate bar maybe that would change things enough to have that conversation because what they are expecting is that if they're raging off the hook at some point, you're just going to either consequence them or physically restrain them. That's the cycle they're used to. They're not going to break the cycle. Why should we expect them to break the cycle? That's our job. That's why, that's why they pay us the big bucks. I'm making air quotes when I say that big bucks. Um, but you know, and it's, it's, it's easy to get, stuck in this system of doing the same stuff over and over every day and just not thinking anymore for ourselves. But you know what? We are critical thinkers. We need to start examining situations from a different point of view and saying, you know what? If this is the 10th CIR for this kid this week, it shouldn't be what he's doing, Ron. What are we doing wrong? We need to be different. And that's, that's a vulnerability. I don't even like admitting when I'm wrong. I can tell you right now, there's a file I have where I have to talk to someone and tell them I'm wrong. I do not want to do it. I don't. But you know what? It's not about me. They are more important than I am. 
And so that's why I will do it. Because their health, their happiness, their hope is more important because I know I'm okay. In myself, I know I'm okay. I know what I'm worth. I know what I'm valued and I know I'm loved. So I can, I can say sorry. And I'm okay with that. I may not always enjoy it or like doing it, but I'll do it because it's, it's about them. And that's, that's, I think that's love. I really do. I think that's love too. Yeah. No, I, I could definitely agree. I, I, I do think that that's like, uh, you made a statement earlier that made me think like, um, imagine, um, like, you know, those individuals who are less fortunate knocking into, you know, Hope Mission, mm. and <laughs> the workers would then ask them for food. <laughs> well, imagine that. yeah. <laughs> imagine that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's asking, that's basically asking someone, so you have a full pitcher of water and asking someone to pour the little bits of, of water they have on your mm. full pitcher of water. And, and they only have a cup, right? So um, no, definitely, definitely um, could, could relate into what you said. The, the love language certainly is, is, is um, you know, to an extent, it's, 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 it can usually impact those who we work with, right? whether it's, it's, the, it's the youth, whether it's the coworkers that we have, um, the people that we work with. Um, and I think if you know that you're able to love, you can make a difference. Mm. And, and, and whether or not it's a small to big difference, you will, you will be able to make a difference. This is not just being telling, you know, making sure that because love, I think comes with respect and you also have to understand as a, as a, you know, we always, always have to understand our worth and that we always must love ourselves first before the, before we Mm -hmm. can love others. Mm -hmm. Cause Mm -hmm. then, cause then we would forget because, you know, for an example, my mom, my mom gave everything she had for my sister and everything. And it, it came to a point where she did not know, she did not know what to do anymore because my sister was acting the same way she had been on day one. Mm. And my mom on the other side was thinking, you know, I'll be with you all throughout your appointments. I'll be with you when you had your rough times, you could hit me. You can get mad at me. I will, I will love you. But then at the end of the day, my sister was not able to, that's not her love language. So then she, she then saw that as, Oh my gosh, this, this woman is too much for me. She, she's, she's too much for me. She doesn't know how, what to give me space. She doesn't know when to, to, to do this for me. And then, so then I told my mom, you're emptying out your cup. You're emptying out your own cup, trying to fill someone else's cup. And then you forget to love yourself. Mm. So then as a son, and as my dad, with my dad around, we then try to fill her cup, right? And then, and then, and 
and I think that we met my dad and I and that I think that's where we started our relationship was we began to talk my dad and I began to talk and we began to 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 plan things into making sure that everyone else in this family had a pitcher a bucket a bucket full of water a bucket full of love and and I think that we made that um that ever since I was I I came into child and youth care and I'm I'll be forever for the rest of my life be thankful for this for the people that I met they were able to teach me and I was able to understand and learn that within a family setting I was able to tell my mom mom you have to know when to give space it does not mean that you if you don't text her after an hour when she is gone you don't love her because you know yourself you love her but you don't forget how much you love yourself because then how can you love someone else how can you love someone else when you don't know how to love yourself where is the love coming from mm. right that's like when when you go in in a plane you're supposed to put your mask on or or your life vest on before you can put others like your child because why because it doesn't make sense that if if you save someone else's lives you might not save yours right so you're not always out there trying to save others you're not always out there trying to make sure that you know i told i told my mom you're not always out there trying to make sure that she feels loved every day because because here you are trying to make her feel that she's loved but there's other people that sh- that that she's receiving it from so then you know as a, as her son i tell her and I lovingly, I, I told I told her many many times. I, you know, you know how much you're worth, and and if my sister is not making you feel that way, I will make sure every single night, every single day that you feel worthy, and that you're treated with all the love. Hence the fact that I told myself like, I make sure that I do my self care every day. I do my self care every day to make sure that I'm. I love myself for doing that. You know, one thing I could eat, you know, chocolate or two, and I'm filled with love. Why? Because that's one way I could (laughs) say that I love myself. I play video games. I'm filled with love, and then so therefore, I go on my day, knowing that I can love somebody else, and I can, and I can impact. Um, I can impact their day positively. Um. And and though sometimes it doesn't happen that way, right? Like it's everybody has their bad days. Um, but definitely do try to strive to to make sure that that um, that someone feels the love that I have. Um, that someone feels the love that I have for them every single day. Um, and you know, I, I truly I, I do stand that it, it comes with forgiveness. It comes with respect it comes with every other things in life um so yeah therefore love is a very complex topic to talk about in one sitting um i i yeah i could definitely go on with this but i i i you know i i never really ever um evaluate my life or my day like this um but i do try my hardest at the end of the day i always try to like when i when my 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 mom and I argues, or when my dad and I argues, or or anyone, I always 
always evaluates what I say first, mm. what I have said first. Sometimes, because when you when I tell myself, when I tell myself, or when I evaluate myself, I always end up thinking it's my fault. And what you said earlier completely answers, you know, some of the question I had is that ever since I was a kid, I've always blamed myself. And I always look for what I've done wrong so that I could fix things. And, and so that, because up till today, I'm scared that I'm not going to be loved. You know, I'm scared that someone's going to be mad at me for the day or someone's going to be mad at me for the weekend. They're not going to talk to me. For example, my dad sometimes comes to work and he won't talk to me. And I would be like, oh my gosh, did I do something wrong? But, and then, and then, you know, I evaluate it at night before I go to sleep. And I, I often tell myself, oh, he must have a, a busy day at work. So now I actually do this and I'm not, I'm not just making a source. Now I always ask him, how's work? So then I would know if he said it was busy, I would know if he doesn't talk to me, he was busy. But there are often times he comes home, plays with my dog all the time. And that's when I know it's a good day, right? So definitely finding the routine um, and the cycle um, and certainly breaking some of the routine that they've, they've gotten used to in, in, in past group homes or whatnot um, would certainly surprise them. I, I think it surprised my dad that I asked him now <laughs> how, how his, his, his day at work has been or, you know, I, I, or I would often sometimes shoot my sister a text and she would be caught by surprise. Right. So it's, it's one of those things that I'm thankful for um, is that being able to, to recognize that um, it's not always your fault. There's, there's always a time when, when somebody else had a bad day and it's not you. And therefore I go out there at work, make sure that my, everything that happens at home stays at home. And that's a big thing because I don't want to, I guess, bring whatever I have at home or it, like, I think, I think Layton has mentioned this is that he really tries to separate the like work then family and, and, you know, everything. Why? Because if you mix and match everything, it's not going to, it's not going to be so, so it's not going to result in a, in a, um, you're not going to be in a happy place. You're going to be burnt out and you're going to be, you're not going to, and this is, this is, and the boundaries that you have in sharing what you've gone through at work is love. Honestly, I think it's love for yourself and it's love for your family because you don't want them to go through what you're going through, but it's also love for the people that at work because you don't want them to new to, and also privacy. But other than that, it's because you care. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I try to, <laughs> I try to hide it, my scars from my mom as much as I can, because I don't want her to worry. I don't want her to think I'm getting beat up at work and, 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 and whatnot. But um, certainly my, because it, it can traumatize them. So I try to hide, but you know, some of the, the scars that I have, it's, you, I can't hide them. So when she would ask, I would, I would certainly say, um, try to make up the stories, some weird stories and wild stories, but I would tell her I'm okay. And you don't have to worry. And she, but she, but she looks at it completely when I like, she would often see it when we eat together. And then she would just observe, like, I have one right here. And she would just observe my hands from afar. And she's like, and that's because of how much she loves me, right? So I, 
yeah, it's you try to reciprocate the love that you receive from others. Um, even though sometimes I feel like I don't, I don't, I don't feel the love that I give them. It's okay. You know, some days they, they need more love than you do. That's like what you said, <laughs> that you know you're okay. Sometimes they need more. And you, if you have more, you can give more, right? So, like, it's, it will, one day, at the end of the day, I always think that um, it's important that we, uh, we have a balanced um, perspective of love or balanced feeling of love every day in my family setting, at, at the least, or people who, who my, my loved ones. Man, you just, you bring up all this stuff. I'm like, man. I'm like, I could, there's so many, I mean, you talk about love languages, you talk about what's meaningful for the people we love. You talk about, you know, where does love start? Right. Um, so I'm just going to pick one of those cause I can, um, I, I like what you said about, you know, you talk about self-care and man was ever pounded into my head when I got my diploma, self-care, self-care, self-care. I just got sick of it. And funny enough, I didn't actually implement any of it till years later when I actually comprehended what it meant. But I, I think it's important to touch on the fact that if, if we're, if we're ex expecting people to love in this field, to love others, then the question is, where does that come from? And I, and I think it's important to recognize that, um, like I said before, people hit child and youth care at different parts of their journeys. Um, and I've, I've sat in workshops with people. I don't know if you've experienced this, Angelo, yet, who you, you know they're there because it's all about them. And they, every question, it's all about them. And they're going to derail the whole workshop because it's got to be about them. And you're like, man, I, I can see where you are in your journey. You're not quite ready yet. Now we're going to throw you in with a bunch of kids and you're just really worried about yourself. And not, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a recipe for, for disaster. And I think it's important to understand our center and ourself and where are we at? The number one thing a child needs care worker has to have is insight, emotional intelligence. You need to know where you are at. Let me tell you, I had to go, I remember, and it was uh, in my diploma doing um, family of origin studies. That was a painfully difficult class for me dredging up all that stuff that I had never dealt with since I was a kid. I hated it, but man, did I ever need to process some of that stuff because on an emotional level, I was in no place to be dealing with a lot of the stuff I was at work because I had so much stuff from my childhood. I had never dealt with. I hadn't processed a lot of the pain in my life. And so we talk about love and giving it. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. Uh, Angelo, you have to love yourself like you and and you have to be able to willing to to go through that journey yeah it's it's going to be painful to get to the point where you can say you know i may not have fully dealt with all this stuff but i know myself well enough to know that i can go out there today and i can give and i'm ready to give and i know that when i get home this is what i need to get that back um and so and it has to be a constant, a constant examining of ourselves. It has to be that awareness. It has to have, I think it has to mean other people in our lives that can see some of the red flags that go up when we're not taking care of ourselves or when we're coming home and we're bringing work home all the time 
or when we're bringing our personal lives into work. I think we need to have people around us that care enough to say, you know what? Hey, I think something's going on with you right now. Uh, people that will care enough about us. And so I don't, th it brings to mind the fact that you can't be, I mean, a successful child needs care worker by yourself. I, I don't think you can. I, and I, I mean that in somewhat of an isolated sense or in the sense of not having a network or a support team around you. I, I don't believe you can um, because there's, there's too much stuff that we're exposed to. There's too much trauma. There's too many horrible stories. There's too much uh, witnessing violence, verbal abuse, and, and watching other people go through it for us to ever be able to just go home and think that that's okay, that we can just leave it behind and close the door and that somehow a piece of us isn't impacted by that. And I think it takes a team of people or at least one good person um, to be able to, to, in a sense, watch over us and notice when those things are coming up or for us to be able to talk to them and say, listen, I just need to vent. Um, I'm really fortunate in my career. I've had some amazing supervisors, I have to say, and I could list them by name who just, I'm just like, I just need to come in and vent and whether I'm storming up and down and swearing or whether I'm crying, they were there and they just accepted it for what it was. Um, but it was important. And it was important for people to check in and say, how, how are you doing? Like, this is what happened. How are you doing? Um, and what I'm able to do now is I'm able to, I have, I'm always, I see that in my colleagues. Like I keep an eye, are, looks like, this person's having a rough day. I should go just check in with them. Like that's all it takes, right? I think that um, we need to spend time taking care of each other as well and, and noticing those things about each other because we can't do this by ourselves. You know, I may, I may work, I may be the single caseworker on a file, but man, it is, it is not up to me to make things happen, right? It takes a team of people. And doing this work, you need all the support you can get because it's, it's difficult work. It is very difficult work. And on an emotional level, like we're not even going to talk about when you start trying to understand theory and apply theory and practice and all of that. Let's just say on an emotional level, it is very difficult and it is very draining. You and I both, even today we're talking about where we were today, just how much, how many times our heart broke, right? Just the heartbreaking stories. And like, that makes me, and it, it makes me really sad. It makes me really sad because I hurt for the kid it makes me frustrated because I don't understand why a parent would do this. And I've, I've gone to my supervisor. I'm like, why, why don't they, why don't they just do this? Why don't they just love their kid? I don't understand. Can you explain this to me why they don't? He's like, no, like sometimes there's no explanation. It's just, that's the way it is. And for me, that's, that's very difficult because I'm all about the why give me a reason, help me to understand why. Right. But that, that takes something out of me. And so I need to make sure that I'm going somewhere to get that back. Now, I'm, one of my big things, I'm fortunate, I will come home at a really rough day. I will come home and I will kiss my, and hug my wife and my kids. And that will be the, and I, I feel the stress evaporating. Sometimes I just need to go and I need to be by myself and I need to lay down in a dark room and just breathe. Sometimes I need to do that. Sometimes I just need to listen to some good old, you know, hard rock and just hear someone screaming in my ears because that's helpful. But these are all things that are meaningful to me and help me diffuse some of that stress. Sometimes I just sit down, I'll sit down. It wasn't that long ago. I came into the house 
And I was thinking, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk to my wife later about this and that. And the other. But I couldn't. I said, you know what? I just had someone tell me about their sexual assault today. Because they were just, it, it, it so deeply impacted me. I just, I can't, I can't process it on my own. And sometimes I just need to just reach out and say, this is just what I heard today. I just need you to, I need you to know this. And I hate it. I hate hearing it. Um, I hate that it happened to this person. I hate that I can't fix it. Um, but um, it's, I have, I have that team or that people that's going to help me, you know, even if I can't figure out, say it's okay to not have to figure it out. It's okay not to know the answer. And what I know in my heart is that because I have all that support, I can go back to that kid and I can sit there and I can listen. If she has something to tell me that's going to be really hard for me to hear, I can listen because I know I've got a team of people supporting me. And so I think that's really important too when it comes to love is that it's not, love is not an isolating or, a, you know, um, a lonely or a lone ranger activity. You know, it's done in community, both how we receive and how we give. Um, and I think that's just a hugely important dynamic to consider as well. So, yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I definitely do. Um, I, the support um, that one is able to give definitely comes from an origin of love of some sorts. Um, and therefore I, I, I do try to reciprocate that from those who I receive it from. So, you know, whether it's, 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 it's Slayton or whether it's my mom or whether it's my dad or my sister or, or my partner or people from seminar, it's because I know that just as, as we are at seminar, I know that there's so much love in there, that there's so much, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a safe environment because you're literally walking in, 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 a, in, a, in, a sand full of love like it's literally just you know just just and I I truly am thankful for my seminar and and they know this they know they know that I am um and those those that that um you know definitely definitely a big factor where you can come to a person or, or, or a group of people and say and say everything the way you want to say it and feel good about it after is such an important aspect of 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 our work today because everything that we do is it's not easy, it isn't. And and you go out there and and you there you as 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 humans, I think that we're very selective of people, um, where we show vulnerability, right? So then then therefore we we definitely. Um, sometimes we feel like there's not enough people but but sometimes we 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 just have to open our eyes and and really see see the amount of relationship that goes on in our lives and and little things like my, my seminar now I treat them like my second family like that's that's my second home Leighton is is just another human being that I I am just sometimes I, I talk to Layton and I look at my phone and it's literally an hour past an hour. And I know. And it's, <laughs> you know what it's, I feel like? I feel like we're a bunch of teenage girls when we do that. <laughs> yeah, we're just gossiping, right? Like I never talk to anyone that long on the phone. What is it with yeah, you, Angelo? 
<laughs> no, honestly, I, I, and that's where support comes from. And, and, and definitely I do try my best to, I don't have my, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not busy with caseloads. I'm not, but I know definitely do try, try um, my best. And I probably came out wrong earlier. We were talking about a file and then I told Layton that I had a dream about this file <laughs> because, because it, it, it came to a point where, I wanted to show you how much I support you. And this is probably, this is probably the right answer in which I, you know, I'm trying to understand your caseload um, in the best way that I can mm -hmm. so that I can come out there, not just be a student, but a, 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 a support system for you. Um, because then at this point, I've managed to care for you. But see, right? you know what? I, I got to stop you because you don't need to understand the caseload. And I, I'll tell you what, and I'll, let me tell you why, because, because you know what fills me up, Angelo, because we can talk about child and youth care all day long because I don't have anyone else to have those conversations with. I don't, I actually, he's lonely. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> there's that, but uh, no, I actually, so I, when I finished my degree in the summer, my one prof is like, well, do you have anyone in, in Emerson you can talk to child and youth care about? I'm like, I'm not really like um, where I work, I work in children's services, child and youth care isn't like big on the agenda. And uh, so I asked her to be my mentor, which was great, but she's in BC and I, I emailed her once or twice, but that was about it. And so, uh, and then Angelo comes along and I just like, I love it because I get to process all this stuff with someone who understands me, who understands child and youth care. We have those conversations, Angelo. That's, that's you supporting me. That's how I feel supported. I love those conversations because I don't, oh, sorry, my wife's telling me to be more quiet. Who's one of my kids sleep above my, my office here. Um, I'm not gonna whisper, don't worry. Um, so, I, so those conversations, like I, I treasure them because I love talking about this stuff. Like I could talk about CYC all day because it's just, it's endless. Um, but I don't get to do that with anyone except for you. So you don't need to understand my caseload because I don't even understand my caseload. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm giving up trying to understand it because it's beyond my capacity to understand. People do crazy things and I don't understand why they do them. But, but it's, it's not that it's, it's just those conversations where I get to, uh, and I, I process things by by talking out loud, like it doesn't help me to think about stuff because it'll just, it's like a hamster wheel. But when I can speak about things and verbalize things, more stuff comes to my head and I can get it out. And so when we talk about all this stuff, this is, that's my process. Like I don't have anyone else to do that with. Um, so, you know, don't ever leave me or I'm just gonna, that's it. I'm, I'm hopeless. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's just don't go. My mom, um, you know, my, my mom asked me, she was like, she was like, um, what did she ask? She was like, can you ever apply to be your supervisor's assistant? I'm like, oh, gosh. You don't know how much you wish is that, boy. <laughs> well, listen, listen, when your practicum's done, you just come right back into the office. I got an extra desk. Just sit up your stuff. All you got to do is show up every day at 815. They'll never know. Yeah. They'll never know. Oh, we hired him over the summer. Don't you remember? Yeah. I'll get, it. I'll get it past the management. Don't you worry. <laughs> Yeah, no, I no, I mean, like when 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 I say that, I try to understand as much as I can. Um, I care, I care for them. Maybe not as much as you do because you are more involved, but I care for them enough 
to for them to know that I'm a safe person to be around with. Um, that's, yeah. And that's interesting that you say that because even your whole paradigm, you're coming in looking, seeking these things on an emotional level, which ultimately is going to be the, the, the most impactful place. Cause it's, it's, all this stuff affects us emotionally, right? And if we can't understand that and kind of gauge um, and find our feet in all that, then, you know, the paperwork and everything else, it won't matter at the end of the day, right? And that's not going to make a difference. But to understand these things from a, an emotional level of what's going on with these, these families and these children and to say, you know, how is this impacting me? And that, because that's going to impact how I approach this family. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's CYC in a nutshell. Like I'm willing to examine myself first when it comes to this and see how these are going to impact my emotions and feelings. And if we can do that, right, if we can get, if we can kind of figure that out and explore that safely and feel safe enough to do that, then I think we've got a a great hold on, and you've got a great hold on, on when stuff comes up, you're going to have a process already right? You're going to be aware because your, you know, your first thought isn't going to be, okay, well, I have to make sure I have all this paperwork filled out and all this taken care of. It's going to be, how am I being impacted by this file? Because I don't think a lot of people take the time to think about that. And I can tell you, I've, I've talked to enough workers who just get angry and frustrated and they write off files, and write off families um, because they 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 haven't taken that time to see how they're being impacted, and so it ends up what you end up with almost a counter transference situation, where this family has impacted them, and without them knowing it, they're impacting that family now because they're throwing that stuff back. And I, and I think that that's, it's it's, it's it can be very dangerous in our line of work working with with other people in vulnerable situations, where we're not prepared to look at how we're doing. It's gonna it's gonna come out in ways that are gonna negative negatively impact these families it's definitely not going to come out in a loving way because Mm. you can't know how you feel um be ignorant of of your feelings and still think you're going to be able to show them love because it's it's not going to happen there's going to be too much stuff getting in the way and so that's that's a very that's a very discerning paradigm to take uh to angelo to look at those from a an emotional based instead of a, a theoretical or you know um you know logical basis right so i mean that's and again how do you how do you teach that how do you how do you pass that on as a competency because a lot of people there that don't want to as humans we we don't want to acknowledge the pain in our lives because pain hurts uh, and pain is bad and so we we avoid it in in the western world absolutely we avoid it at all costs right and we've been taught to avoid it at all costs if you have a headache, take an aspirin. If something's wrong with you, just go to the doctor and get some medication, right? But don't, whatever you do, don't sit there and try and figure out what's really going on. And I, th- I think that's our, our perception, especially when it comes to emotions, is our first reaction isn't, well, let's, you know, I'm just going to take some time. I'm going to feel this emotion. I'm going to feel where it's coming from. I'm going to experience it. That's not our first reaction. It's the first reaction is, oh my gosh, I feel something awful. I have to go do something else to distract myself. Right. Um, and those emotions are going somewhere. They're, they're, they're filling up somewhere. And, and so that is where I've seen the most damage done uh, when workers are coming in and you know, they haven't dealt with any of their own stuff. 
and it's coming out in their interactions with the kid. And you see those dynamics very clearly. And it's, it's really hard from, from a management point of view to work with someone like that because you know you've got years of baggage that you're dealing with and it's coming out in these short little interactions, these little bursts of interactions with the kids. I'm like, what do you, what do, you do with that? It's, it's really difficult to manage. And someone who's not willing to look at um, their own pain before they, they take a look at someone else's. And so um, that's, um, that's something else for a whole of the podcast, I think, because we could just, you know, but that's, that's uh, yeah, just some thoughts about that. But again, it comes back to, we got to, you know, when we look at things, what's our paradigm? Are we looking at to avoid? Are we looking at to engage ourselves on an emotional level? Are we willing to engage the, the youth and families on an emotional level? Because that's, that's vulnerable. That's dangerous stuff. But hey, that's where, the, that's where the, real, the real change, the real impact happens. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, you know, how do we start having these conversations? How do we talk? Man, can you imagine how I went to work tomorrow? Someone with a case phone, I'm like, yeah, so how does that file make you feel? What <laughs> the are you talking about? I'll tell you how it makes me feel. People are stupid. <laughs> they need to make better decisions. Man, I'm tired of dealing with them. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. <laughs> I don't want Give this me more no bucks. More. <laughs> Give me yeah. more money. Maybe I'll deal with more files. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I, I definitely do do empathize and and the work that that uh, you know many of us do, uh, especially those who are in a much more I guess engaging levels. Therefore, I I do try to, and 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 this this is my practicum. I I maybe have overdone it throughout the weekend trying to think about this and causing, causing certain, um, I guess, reaction in my, my head that was, was definitely not needed. Um, but I try to engage as much as I can emotionally because actually I don't read as much files. I don't. And because this is because I end up, I end up using my theoretical lens instead of my emotions in trying to help them. Because what would you do if you see a child who's, who's, uh, uh, who uses um, drugs on a, a daily basis? But when you read that, it, it, it's different. But when someone tells you, it becomes like, a, oh, that's their coping mechanism. You know? And it's hard, to, it's hard for you to read a file without making judgments but when someone tells you, "Oh, I, um, I, I use I use marijuana to keep me calm. I, I try to sleep at night, but I can't." And then there's other people out there reading this and making a report saying, "Yeah, this 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 dude or gal uses marijuana often, but they don't know the background, right?" So when you engage with that emotional level on an emotional level, I think is very important because it becomes a to the point where I know now that one day when I'm a work, when I'm a caseworker, uh, being a worker in the field, that I will invest the time, the emotions, the love that I know that I can give towards these people because I was able to, to witness it in front of my eyes because you were able to do it. And why can't I? Right? So I think that that's um, being accepting in you're learning. So I, me, if I was not accepting of your work and saying, oh, well, he's a, a horrible worker, you know, or like, what is, why is he doing such things? 
but if you were able if you were to do something that really questioned my my practice or, or that question that I had questions I would be like hey wh- why did you do that I'm pretty sure I've asked you certain questions where I'd ask you um, what would you do if this happened because if in the future if that happened to me I have the awareness or I have the knowledge of what someone who's a truly child and youth care worker, what they have in mind to do. Because then as much as, as, as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, my practicum, this practicum will affect me for the rest of my life. And, and I truly mean that because, you know, I, I, I tell Leighton this because he's, he's, he's a type of worker that knows how to care Therefore, I'm out there caring for others too. Like I've never, I've never worked, <laughs> I've never worked as hard as I have before. But no, like I've never worked the way I do coming into work and my group home ever since I stepped in child, child services um, with Layden. I, I, my, my, I've, I totally feel like I've grown so much more of a child and youth care worker than just a worker. And, and I, I never looked at it in the sense that, um, you know, being a child and youth care worker, you can truly impact lots of people's lives. But you have to know how to do it safely in a loving manner. Mm. Um, and Lynn have, has, has shown me so much um, that, that there's, there's truly, like he, if you, were, if you were to put, if you were to make a book, I'd want his picture. Like photo in every single book for child news care work, like child news care um, <laughs> classes, because that, truly I, I I do believe that you know Layton does a very good job too, and and hence the fact that I, I've I, I was really excited to to bring him to class, um to show that 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 if one day we'll be happy where we are, and this is the path that we chose because we know that we can impact people positively, you know. Like understanding that some people, some people don't want to be in this path no more, but there are certainly those people in our class right now or in the classes that graduated that are loving this field because they were able to find their niche in, in loving unconditionally, um, the and unconditionally loving the youth that they're working with, and I think that's that that goes a long way. Um, if you don't love the work that you do, you're not going to last long here. And just like what Layton said earlier, you come into work knowing that you have to love somebody or you have to show someone that they're worthy. And if you come into work at 8.15 in the morning, grumpy, trust me, for the whole day, you're not going to hear no good news because the work that we do, for sure, there's there's definitely no good news on a uh, on a on a you know on a daily basis but but the, the 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 impact that we we have on people and and truly i i, I do do observe Layton's um work with the people that that um he works with though sometimes it turns it it's so funny sometimes it 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 um doesn't turn out the way we thought it would be but you know, there's Leighton would always find a way to just kind of, kind of um, look at it in a sense of, of love and how he can learn from it or what he can do. But always, always focusing 
on the child's safety, the child's needs, the child's, um, you know, the child's, uh, um, I guess, um, sense of worth. And it truly affected me and truly, that's why I, I want to become a caseworker because in, in a caseworker position, you are able to have some kind of authority that can impact many, not just the youth, not just the family, but those who are around them. And I think that that's, that's one of the key. Um, one day I'm going to become prime minister of Canada. I tell you this, <laughs> no kids are going to feel this way. Just kidding. No, like, I, honestly, I, I, I do find that one day I do want to be in a position where I could very much impact those who are in care and, and give them, and with this is according to Leighton, you can't do this by yourself. I look forward to working with many other child new care workers or many other professionals out there that knows how to love somebody and knows the meaning of love and therefore they're able to do so. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna go join the Angelo and Leighton show. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> Take it on the road, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you guys got something going here, I tell you. <laughs> Lots of love to you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. <laughs> good, good way to end it. Good way. Yeah. And Angelo, yeah. yes, you will be prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd vote Get for ready you. Ready for your raise. <laughs> <laughs> yes.